Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Catalyst. So today, I want to start with um, talking about a movie that's going to get us down a chain, so just bear with me for a second. This is how my mind works sometimes. So this summer, one of the biggest cinematic events was the latest Doctor Strange movie, which was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and I was so thrilled for this movie because Doctor Strange is brought to life by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is one of my very favorite actors. Now, that's not the first place I ever saw Benedict Cumberbatch, of course, was as Doctor Strange. Actually, he played Sherlock. Um, in, or Sherlock Holmes in the BBC version of Sherlock Holmes. And um, this character has been around since the late 1800s, and it's actually one of the most famous characters in literature. Um, and it's become so much part of our Western culture that there are actually over 25,000 different productions and products related directly to Sherlock Holmes. Now, what's even more amazing to me is someone took the time to catalog them all. But that's really cool, too. Um, so when Sir Arthur, or Arthur, I can't ever say this word right, forgive me, Arthur Conan Doyle um, originally killed off Sherlock Holmes, there was a public outcry. Probably one of the first ones we'd ever seen in this idea of, of modern fandom, right? They were, they were furious in the British way that they're furious, like, you know, I am outraged, sir, kind of thing. Letters got written to this guy. The equivalent, I mean, British for that time period, equivalent to probably a death threat kind of thing. So it was a little, he was probably taken a little aback. People were writing and demanding that the, he bring Sherlock Holmes back, which of course he did, thankfully. He did bring him back. Um, well, if you think about this, there have been thousands of stories brought to life, millions of people brought together, and a character so vividly presented that there are actually people, believe it or not, who think Sherlock Holmes was a real person. There's like a conspiracy theory going on. Doyle just knew this guy and kind of did a biography of him is what they think, which is also crazy. And all of this is for a character that is quirky, out, out, astoundingly observant, self-medicating, hoarding, plays the violin horribly. And sometimes he seems so cerebral we're not even sure if he has emotions, right? That's, I mean, that's Sherlock Holmes. But it also suspiciously sounds like Ian Cron's description of what it's like to live as an Enneagram 5, the investigator. Independent, sometimes socially awkward, private, loner, hoarder of knowledge and other necessities, observer far more than a participant, a great listener who finds people exhausting, and energy, time, and affection to be scarce. Do you know that person? the one who listens intently to what you have to say, but rarely interjects their own thoughts or feelings into the conversation, that just-the-facts type, who might get lost in the thrill of a new intellectual pursuit, but feels overwhelmed when they have to deal with the emotions of other people, the quiet type, the awkward type, the collector, the hoarder. Friends, you may just be fortunate enough to know an Enneagram 5, and I mean that sincerely because I think they're incredible. Um, and if you're thinking, fascinating, that sounds like it could be me, but I'm not quite sure how to react to that, so I'll just have to ponder that a little bit later or maybe do some more research. Then maybe you are an Enneagram 5. Now, 5s truly are amazing but they can be a mystery to those of us who process emotions more quickly or feel the need to share every detail of our day with anyone who will listen. Their powers of active observation, logic, and reason, they've been borrowed by writers, especially those of mystery and science fiction, to create characters like Sherlock Holmes, who transcend time and cultures. And when they're healthy, they bring balance to relationships and conversations 
in a way that's beneficial to us all. When they're less than healthy, scarcity overshadows their world and observation begins to dominate. So that hoarding of time and space and affection becomes their norm. And when taken to the extreme, independence is overvalued. They take a defensive posture when dealing with others. It's just their normal way of operating. And sarcasm and cynicism, well, they bleed into most, if not all, of their interpersonal interactions. So fives. How can you find that balance of observation and participation so that you can be your true self, whether you're in your personal space enjoying some downtime or you're engaging with the people God's put into your life to enjoy? And how can the rest of us love the fives in our lives well? Before we go there, let's take some time to worship the God who created us as we are, full of curiosity and intelligence, the God who loves us and provides for us out of God's infinite abundance and who we can trust to care for us no matter what. Good morning. Welcome back. This summer, we have been spending some time with La Familia Madrigal from Encanto, and the magical Madrigals correlate to the nine Enneagram types. Now, just as a quick reminder, the Enneagram is an ancient tool for spiritual growth and transformation, and on its surface, it looks a lot like Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or a lot of the other personality profiling type, uh, tools that are out there. But in the Enneagram, you identify yourself as one of the numbers one through nine, which then goes on to describe how you interact with the world. Ian Cron, a spiritual director who has written about the Enneagram a lot, says it like this. Personality tests tell you who you really are. The Enneagram tells you who you really are not. In other words, what the Enneagram helps you identify in yourself is something theologians and mystics call our shadow self. These are the personas that we all create to help us cope with the world. Now, throughout the series, we're investigating the types the type embodied by each member of La Familia Madrigal, allowing them to illustrate for us the various personas, and then we're going to dive into scripture to see how these personas keep us from being fully who God created us to be. So our end goal is that we come to know our creator better by knowing God's creation, and our hope is by the end of the summer, we all come together as a spiritual family, closer than ever, and a source of healing and hope for our community, just like La Familia Madrigal. So we've explored the anger triad and the shame triad, and today we're starting the last of the three triads, the fear triad. And we're going to spend some time with our favorite super-powered hearing Madrigal and Sherlock Holmes to get a better understanding of fives, who actually may understand us better than we understand ourselves, and who deserve to be loved and understood and cherished just as they are. Dolores is our oldest child and only daughter of Peppa, the volatile four that Ashley talked with us about last week. Her gift is superhuman hearing. Uh, Dolores' gift is that. And she's able to hear even the tiniest pin drop or a song from a mile away. She doesn't need to be seen to use her gift. Dolores' superhuman hearing means she can observe from extreme distances. And I don't know if you noticed in their movie or not, but it's kind of like she can hide in plain sight, right? Because she just pops up and provides little tidbits of information and her distinctive little chirp. I wish I could do that chirp. It's such a cool thing. Um, when you didn't even know she was close by. And she seems a little stressed when interacting with others. And she also avoids telling everyone that Bruno is probably still around. She's hoarding that information to protect herself and to protect Bruno. Her gift, it allows her to isolate herself from others. 
In fact, her gift, that superhuman hearing, probably actually makes it necessary. Because imagine the pain of hearing everything in excruciating detail and volume. If you saw, if you, I don't know if you noticed in the movie or not, but when the fireworks go off, she puts her hands over her ears because she, she, it hurts her to, to hear all of that. And she is a great example of an average five. Now, in our average five's view of the world, there is just not enough to go around. There's not enough space, time, and affection, so they're hoarded. Observation is a whole lot more comfortable than participation. Thinking about things is going to trump feeling them. Um, there's, a, there's definitely a choice to prefer self-reliance over faith, and there's limited or measured amounts of time that they are willing to spend with others. They avoid any situation that makes them feel incompetent or incapable, which I can understand that, right? Nobody likes to be uncomfortable or incapable. But in, um, so that's what an average five looks like. Dolores is a good average five. So what does an unhealthy five look like? Well, they avoid depending on anyone for anything. They take a defensive posture because security, independence, and privacy must be protected at all costs. There is never enough in their world. Not enough time, not enough energy, not enough knowledge. And they tend to be judgmental, cynical, and a bit sarcastic. Sometimes a lot sarcastic. Now, Sherlock Holmes is an excellent example of an unhealthy five. His scarcity mentality if you've read any Sherlock or seen the movies, you've, you know that it's isolated him from almost all the rest of the world. He has very um, regrettable, that's probably the nicest way to put it, interpersonal skills. Um, he fails to understand how harshly and unfairly he treats other people when he just gives them these cold observations that he's, that he's done out of, out of context. Um, and he lives inside his world of facts, logic, and cold observation even when others want to, to break in and be part of his world. And really, it doesn't matter which version of Sherlock you're seeing, whether it's Benedict Cumberbatch's or if you, if you are a fan of the Robert Downey Jr. movies, which is another great Sherlock um, brought to life. In that version, one of the scenes that really stuck out to me, so Watson's getting engaged, right? And, he's, and they're best friends, supposedly. And Sherlock refuses to go meet the fiancé. He's like, he's put it off and put it off and put it off. So finally, he agrees to go to dinner. Well, when she gets there, he attacks her with all these observations, the fiancé. Sherlock attacks the fiancé. And he's, he's pointing all these things out, and he attacks her so hard that she throws her beverage in his face, and the dinner's over, which is what he wanted in the first place. He had no desire to be part of that, that whole scenario. So he, he used them, he used all of this, his observation skills and his, his um, ability to deduce information, he used it as a weapon so that he could continue to distance himself. And that's just really sad. And it's, it's what happens when, when um, fives are very unhealthy. He was also in the habit of self-medicating um, he needed, because he needed to figure out how to control his world and how to cope with the world around him. But you see, God did not create us to be alone. We're not supposed to be isolated like Sherlock. We are actually designed to be with other people. And being with other people, that means sometimes, that means basically always there are things that are outside of our control. Now, there is good news. Healthy fives. Dolores, after the magic fails, she's a really good example of what someone looks like as they're, as they're beginning to um, become a healthy five. She's learning to balance observation and participation. Maybe they're still introverted, but they're able to engage with others comfortably. And as an added bonus, they can be truly neutral, which is really cool 
and something that I'm just not very good at. Uh, but it's a very handy skill to have on your team if you really need to assess the best path forward or the wisest choice of action. They're also likely highly knowledgeable in multiple subjects, and they're willing to share that knowledge with you because they've become part of the world instead of being separated from it. So what does our path look like to become healthy? Well, unlike our twos, threes, and fours, for our fives, there isn't a need to be seen. They don't need to be seen as helpful, they don't need to be seen as successful, and they don't need to be seen as authentic. In fact, some of them feel like they don't need to be seen at all. Because fives are afraid. They're afraid that there isn't enough. There's not enough energy to get through the day. There's not enough information to make the logical choice. There's not enough independence to maintain control. And this scarcity mentality, it's where their deadly sin, which is avarice, comes into play. Now, avarice is, avarice is kind of a strange word. When I remember the only time I've ever really had that word come up a lot is when I was a kid and we were studying King Midas, right, the parable of King Midas. Um, and it, in that story, you remember he hoarded gold, right? And he hoarded it even though that, that with his touch, even though it killed people that loved him and that he loved because he felt like he was never going to have enough. But for a five, it's not about hoarding gold, okay? It's not about things. It's about energy and time and independence. And they hoard them because they fear and they feel that their supply is much lower than the demands of existing in this world full of people and all these expectations. Dolores, she hoards information. She can hear everything. So that tells me she knows Bruno is still around but says nothing. Now, I don't think it's because she's the villain, which is a kind of a thing going around on the internet that she's the real villain. I don't think it's because she's the villain. I really don't. I think it's because it's safer for her to hoard than to share. And Sherlock Holmes, he hoards information in his head. It's all over his apartment. It's stuffed in nooks and crannies. Um, it's it's everywhere he can shove it into, and he hoards his time and his skills. He's the world's greatest detective, and he only takes cases that interest him because he doesn't have enough energy to take on all of them, even though he would be amazing on all of them. Um, and from the viewpoint of an Enneagram 5, the world is very intrusive. It's overwhelming, and it's draining. It demands more than they can give, so hiding away behind this wall of knowledge and logic and relying only on themselves helps them feel like they can protect themselves and these limited resources. Hmm. So the word, if you want to pick a word to, that kind of defines their lives, they, they have a need for control, right? They have to control the resources, they have to control the time. And as kids, they learned the message that they are socially incompetent or otherwise incapable of handling life and relationships. So the only way they're going to survive is if they can become emotionally detached, independent, and maybe even hide from the world. And if you're looking for a traumatic experience that might cause a child to feel that they need to be self-sufficient and independent, um, having a family member whose emotions can control the weather, yeah, that could do it. Having an uncle that is hiding in the walls that nobody talks about and they rejected because he was different and you know you're different because you're observant, that could do it too. Now, it doesn't mean their families are evil, right? It's just they're children and they pick up on these messages and they never got a chance to, to, heal for, uh, to be healed from hearing those messages. Um, so 
this independence and this self-sufficiency becomes a defense mechanism because you cannot rely on others. That's the lie they believe. You can only rely on yourself. Now, their deadly sin, remember, it's avarice, which is rooted in the fear of scarcity. But there is some really great news. Scarcity is an illusion. Repeat after me. Scarcity is an illusion. Okay. And this is, this is great news, and Paul reminds the Ephesians of this in chapter 3. If you would like to turn there, it's Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 14. But it's going to be on the screen, so you can cheat too. That's all good. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God's resources are unlimited, and this includes God's love for you, God's strength, which he gives to you, and God's wisdom. You see, God knows you, God knows your needs, God knows your fears, and God will supply your every need, including your need to recharge. So you can be generous with your time, your affection, and your knowledge, because God will provide. Not just provide, but generously provide for you. So let's pause for a minute and let that sink in. And as we do, let's return to worship, celebrating the God who is more than enough for us. Now, if you're a five, you are actually better equipped than a lot of the rest of us for self-reflection. Self-reflection, sorry. And that is a huge benefit on the path to spiritual journey because you are wired to think about things and to understand them. So use that gift to your benefit by acknowledging your feelings, experiencing them in that moment, and then you can let them go. So when you notice scarcity is dominating your mindset, take the time to acknowledge that fear, and then remind yourself that God supplies all your needs out of God's infinite resources and love. Fives, when you share your knowledge, your powers of observation, your time, your affection, and yourself with others, you enrich the world in profound ways. See, there's a reason. Okay, fives, you're going to have to forgive me because I cry, so it's what I do. So please don't freak out. I promise I won't cry on you, okay? Okay, so back up a second. Okay, so there's a reason Sherlock Holmes is beloved. Because those of us who do not share your incredible gifts of observation, we need you. We need your honesty. We need your insistence on facts and logic. See, these, um, these skills help bring balance so that when people like me are over-emotional and cry, you're, you can be logical and you can keep moving things forward. So that's a little bit of, of balance going on there. It's a good thing. Um, and it's only when you share yourself in these gifts that you have that the body of Christ can really be in balance. Now, fives, the path to healing and to health requires learning to depend on God and to depend on others. 
God created us to be dependent on one another, and this interdependency, it takes trust and it takes faith, which can be a challenge, especially for fives. But when we learn to trust God, we can better recharge and energize. Now, Elijah is one of the most famous prophets in the Bible, and I don't know if he was an Enneagram five, but I do know that he gave himself and gave of himself until he had nothing left to give. Now, the climax of Elijah's story is when he calls fire down from heaven. This is a really cool story. If you haven't ever read it, it's like really, really amazing. So all these prophets are around, and they're like, our, our God's better than your God, and, and Elijah's like, no, he's not, and, and they can't do anything. They do all these dances. They can't do anything. Elijah's like, let me show you what God can do. So he douses everything with water, and he's, I mean, he's like drowning in water. Do you start fires with wet wood? No, you don't do that. But God showed up and showed up in incredible ways, and just fire came down, and the false prophets were wiped out, and it was like big triumphant, but Queen Jezebel, um, she wasn't done yet. And she started vowing she was going to kill Elijah again, and he had just had it. So there's this meme going around that's pretty funny. Um, So it says, yeah, this is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible when Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad! I just want to die! So God said, here's some food. Why don't you take a nap? (laughs) So he slept, he ate, and decided things weren't so bad. So never underestimate the spiritual power of a snack and a nap, right? I mean, seriously, when you're spent, there's a reason we talk about being hangry, right? When you are spent, when you have nothing left, God provides. And the beautiful part of this story, if you go and read it, um, God sent angels to minister to Elijah, okay? He knew how drained he was. He brought him food. The, The angels brought him food. The angels ministered to him until Elijah was ready to get up and continue on. And I just think it's such a beautiful story. So God is more than able to supply what you need to recharge. So taking the needed time to recharge also, it's not a weakness. Elijah wasn't being weak. Elijah was being real, okay? So take that time. It's fine. And it's also a reminder that none of us are fully independent. We can't be. We need each other, and we need God. Now, Um, earlier we mentioned that Dolores seemed to be invisible, right? Until she pops up with little tidbits of information, which is another superpower of fives. Uh, You can hide in plain sight. When something needs to be quietly accomplished, fives, you are uniquely positioned to get it done. Now, the rest of us, we need to be aware of this superpower and this gift and take a a page from Jesus' playbook because people still need to be seen, even if they don't think they need to be seen. So let's turn to Mark, we're going to be chapter 5, verse 25, and we're going to look at the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Now, God's law declared that um, bleeding made a person unclean, right? And for most women, oops, Siri is talking to me, sorry. Okay, so it, it meant that uh, if you were bleeding, you were unclean. So for most women, that meant that you're untouchable for at least about once a month. But sometimes there are medical conditions that happen that can cause you to bleed more frequently and even incessantly, which this happened to this, to this woman. It means that she was never clean, right? So she was never welcomed among her people. She was never allowed to encounter God. But let's watch what happens when God comes near this woman. Now, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse, but she had heard about Jesus. 
So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look, at this crowd, it's pressing all around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Her suffering was over because she was brave enough to reach out. Her medical condition had isolated her and left her desperate without money, She literally just reached out in faith, yet purposefully remaining unnoticed and unseen by everyone, except Jesus. He knew what she had done, and she did something even braver, because fives is really brave, to admit in front of everyone that she had been the one that touched him. So fives, when you reach out in faith, God sees you, know that. And sometimes um, you may be asked to turn off your invisibility cloak, so that the rest of us can see you and what God is doing through you and your faith. Jesus calling the woman out allowed others to see what faith in action looked like, and it also established that the woman mattered. The crowd saw her, and they knew she was no longer suffering and no longer untouchable. Imagine the hope that that gave others who were suffering alone. Our dependence on God and one another is vital to our faith, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Church, we can love our fives better because we can give them space and the time that they need to process information, emotions, and experiences. And we can be encouraging and understanding when they need to go home and recharge, even though the rest of the group is still enjoying the party. And we can learn when our attempts to help or comfort, well, sometimes they become more about our needs than theirs. And when that happens, we can gently back off. And we can make sure that we look for our fives and that they are truly seen because we all need to be seen. And we can learn to recognize when they need us to be with them and when they need space. So today, as we join together at the table set out for us, know that there is more than enough for everyone. You are welcome, you are seen, You are loved, just as you are. Now, before we come to the table, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of examine. I'm going to ask you four questions and give you space to reflect on them with the Holy Spirit. Then we will all pray and receive communion together. When in the last week have I hoarded my knowledge, time, and or affections because I was afraid I didn't have enough? When in the last week have I hidden from others 
even when we, were, when we were physically in the same space. When, in the upcoming week, might I be tempted to avoid interacting with or depending on others out of fear that I don't have enough to share? How can I take time to see those who might be hiding in plain sight or to allow others to see me? God, you have gathered us today to consider those among us who are Enneagram Fives. We take special notice of these investigators in our midst today, celebrating their care and attention to detail. We have heard this good news too, that they and all of us can trust you to provide for us. In a world that wants to convince us there's not enough to go around, you insist you are more than enough to satisfy the deep longings of our spirits. So we come to your table today empty-handed, because what could we offer that you don't already have? We come to receive, receive this meal from you, and as we do, we pray these elements become a spiritual food for us. We pray for the grace to trust you, to rest in the promise of your abundance. We offer these prayers and approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. On the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus shared this meal with his disciples. During the meal, he broke bread and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine and said, This is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink it. So now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. As we're going, some homework. Fives. This week, make an opportunity to connect with someone else. Invite them to spend time with you and share your thoughts and feelings with them. If you find yourself hoarding your time, thoughts, feelings, and affection, take time to analyze what is making you feel that there is not enough or that you are not enough. And then remind yourself that God supplies all these needs from his infinite resources and love for you. Now, for everyone else, Suzanne Stabile gives us a great strategy for helping fives be seen in the path between us. She reminds us that fives have trouble finding their place in what is already happening. You can help for saying something like, would you like to sit with us? We have an extra chair. And then follow that up with a brief introduction, something like, hey, everyone, this is Tom or Nathan. We work together. Now let's all please stand together as I offer this blessing over us all. Catalyst, 
You're going back now into a world that believes there is not enough to go around. May you go with the God who is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Go in a spirit not of scarcity, but of abundance. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And have a great week.